making the most of the freezing cold. Feels a little extra Canadian and it feels pretty good. We're lucky. Another blast of winter weather on the way before parts of the province thaw out. We're tired of being dehumanized, we're tired of being bombed, we're tired of being made out to be terrorists. The calls for an end to civilian deaths in Gaza and the release of Israeli hostages. Taking hostages is a war crime. This is a war crime. 100 days since the October 7th attack on Israel. A rescuer's legacy. We've taken Tim's vision and we've built on it. And we've gone to places that Tim didn't know was possible. Ten years since his passing, how Tim Jones changed search and rescue in B.C. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thank you for joining us. We begin with a programming note. We are experiencing audio issues on Global. You can still catch the News Hour live several different ways on the Global TV app, on our website, globalnews.ca/bc, or on streaming services. You can also listen live on 980 CKNW. People on the south coast woke up this morning to a sight few have seen, ice forming on bays and inlets in and around Vancouver. Despite the cold, dozens of people lined the waterfront at Stanley Park, watching the California sea lions frolic near a thin layer of ice that covers that part of Coal Harbour. Nearby, Lost Lagoon is frozen solid. New warnings are now in effect. Kristen Robinson reports. With extreme cold warnings lifted for Metro Vancouver Sunday, Trout Lake still frozen enough for some to test the ice with an outdoor hockey game. I'm pretty sure this is insanely rare. You know, I've only heard about it a couple times and uh, seems like everybody's pretty stoked to take advantage of the ice. Oh, it just it feels amazing. I, like I was telling my buddies, I don't remember it ever being this cold. Um, this is my first time ever on an outdoor rink, so it feels a little extra Canadian and it feels pretty good. We're lucky. While they made the most of the freezing temperatures... Feels like this is wet. Many others are dealing with the aftermath of burst pipes. Steve Goodman is thankful there's minimal damage in his Surrey condo, where up to 24 units were affected. The pipe's being burst, but... The good news is I'm pretty sure that the insulation will be a lot better uh, going forward. As homeowners clean up, health care providers also hard hit. At least two residents of Surrey's CareLife Fleetwood long-term care home were temporarily moved after the bitter cold caused heating fan coils to malfunction, leading to water leaks in some ceilings. Burst pipes also resulted in water damage. Portable heaters have been brought in, fireplaces turned on, and blankets topped up for the remaining residents. Mission Memorial Hospital's emergency department forced to temporarily divert patients due to a flood Saturday evening. Pipes burst during the extreme cold, causing water damage in the unit. BC Cancer says a broken water line also caused water damage to its building, and it's working with patients to alter or reschedule appointments. Yes, some clothes to keep warm. While Metro Vancouver municipalities scrambled to expand their extreme weather response for the most vulnerable, shelters still had to turn people away during the cold snap. It really is a tapestry of band-aids. Out here in the Tri-Cities, um, we have two overnight shelters, um, but no daytime services. Coast Mental Health CEO says in most communities we bring people indoors overnight, only to send them out in the cold hours later. 
The solution, he says, is safe and permanent housing. Until that supply can be built, I think a big part of it is you know, having every night or 24-hour programs. So instead of these 12-hour overnight services, you know, striving towards having 24-hour services so people don't have to get up and go outside in the morning, so they can actually stay indoors, build relationship with staff, get connected to services. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Meteorologist Yvonne Schall joins us now. And Yvonne, this cold snap continues to break records. Yeah, another cold day today. Just a sample of some of the preliminary numbers. Uh, Princeton, minus 32. The old records back in 2005. Kamloops, minus 27. Areas near Squamish and even Port Alberni into the minus teens with old records set back in 2005. Now, the extreme cold, the temperatures are gradually going to start to moderate, especially as we get in towards the coming days. But the following areas, overnight and leading in towards tomorrow, morning will still see the extreme cold the northeastern corners the southeastern corners minus 40 minus 50 when you factor in the wind chill as well and the arctic outflow warning still along the north the central coast whistler and eastern areas of the fraser valley that's extending in towards hope that will still see that extreme cold overnight tonight with a few spots feeling like minus 30. the next big weather story that we're following a special weather statement has been issued areas along the coast will be seeing a wintry mix we're tracking this tuesday and towards wednesday but as early as tomorrow night. So Monday night, Tuesday and Wednesday for the central and southern half of the province. Interior regions will be looking at snow. For Metro Vancouver and the island, we are going to see rain, freezing rain and snow overnight into Tuesday. This will impact our Wednesday morning. We could even see the potential for some ice pellets and freezing rain. I'll have more on the snow timeline coming up very shortly. Travis. Okay, thanks Yvonne. The extreme cold weather has had an impact on everything from people to businesses to road conditions. And as Victoria Famia reports, it's also having an impact on sailboats. About a dozen of them have either semi or fully submerged into Okanagan Lake over the last few days. That one's got a vessel on it. Yeah. Yep. Um, that one over there has a vessel. Okay. This one here has a vessel on it. At least a half a dozen sailboats struggling to stay above water as thick ice weighs them down. When the winds come up, it gets really rough and nasty. So you get all that water and splashing and spray. It freezes against the hulls. Um, you know, you end up with thousands of pounds of ice on a vessel and they reach their limits where they sink. This has become a common issue in the Manhattan Point area on Okanagan Lake. But according to Mike Bernhardt, this is the most he's seen go down. Every year now for the past eight years since we've lived here, um, it's kind of like clockwork. Every winter storm that comes, um, we're seeing multiple vessels load up with ice and sink to the bottom of the lake. As you can see behind me, there are a number of partially sunken sailboats. It's estimated there's about six to eight of them struggling to stay afloat. However, you can tell by looking at some of the buoys that a few sailboats have actually completely submerged. I counted uh, three, uh, actually, sorry, four out there yesterday. I went out with my kayak when it was, um, you know, calm out there. And yeah, they're below the waterline. Um, you can see there's a few more out here where the masts are kind of just sticking up above. They're more in like 10 or 12 feet of water. Bernhardt now concerned how the sunken sailboats might impact the water. Every time they sink, like although they are sailboats, they still have um, outboard motors on them, fuel tanks. And when it's calm, you can see a little bit of a rainbow around these boats where obviously some of those, um, you know, petroleum products are, are floating up. Bernhardt says it appears these boats are sitting 
illegally on the water. And in a statement to Global News, the Ministry of Environment and Climate Change said under the Navigation Protection Act, if any vessel is sunk or partially sunk in navigable waters, Transport Canada may authorize any person to remove the vessel or parts of it for their own benefit. Global News also reached out to the Department of Fisheries for further comment, but did not receive a response in time for broadcast. Victoria Famia, Global News. Thanks to cold temperatures, electricity demand hit a new record Friday night. Peak demand reached over 11,300 megawatts, breaking the previous record of over 10,900 in December 2022. BC Hydro says despite the record-breaking demand, the province had enough electricity to sell about 200 megawatts to Alberta, where they're experiencing the second straight day of grid alerts and asking people to turn off lights, ovens and machinery. We get that part of the story from Carolyn Curry de Castillo. Albertans got an emergency alert Saturday night asking them to immediately reduce electricity use to essentials only. The alert came a few hours after the Alberta electric system operator declared a grid alert due to extreme cold, high demand and low imports. We were concerned at one point um, that we were going to run out of emergency reserves and have to go to rotating outages. There was a significant drop in electricity demand almost immediately after the alert was issued. It was ended about two hours later. Tremendously proud of Albertans. Uh, very, very grateful that so many stepped up at a time of need. Alberta was receiving electricity from BC, Saskatchewan and Montana on Saturday night, but BC's ability to export was curtailed. They were in a real crunch. The Pacific Northwest was in a real crunch. We were in a real crunch. Everybody was chasing the same electrons um, in, in our region. Several power plants were offline either because of planned maintenance or because of extreme weather. Alberta demand is growing and supply hasn't quite caught up, according to Tim Weiss at the University of Alberta. We saw not just last night, but we saw that with the really high prices uh, in the summer as well, that we're, we're a bit undersupplied right now. But that will likely work itself out in the next uh, in the next few months as some of these new plants come online. We're moving into a new world. Um, we're not the only ones facing uh, some of these challenges. And I think we're a little bit behind responding to some of them in terms of dispatchable uh, demand uh, and allowing consumers the opportunity to automatically respond to some of these things. We've learned that uh, we definitely need dispatchable generation. Alberta's utility minister says there's a lot of work to do to make the system more efficient and optimize the generation that we have. And we're seeing that, that demand go up. So being able to manage that and work collaboratively for uh, emergency situations is becoming much more critical. A spokesperson for the Alberta Electric System operator says with two new plants coming online this year, Alberta is expected to be in better shape to deal with extreme weather. Carolyn Curry de Castillo, Global News. Today marks 100 days since the start of the Israel-Hamas war and Vancouver's Palestinian community is coming together. Families gathered at Emily Carr University to build kites as a way to show solidarity with the children of Gaza. It's one of 70 Kites in Solidarity events worldwide as a way to mark International Kite Day. Organizers say kites hold a special meaning to children in Gaza. Kites are really significant in um, Palestine and Gaza. Um, they're easy to make, so kids have learned how to make them themselves. They are frequently used as entertainment. And actually in 2011, um, a group of children in Gaza set out to break the world record for most kites flown. Um, and they flew 12,350 kites at Al Waha Beach. 
Um, and so they set out to break the world record and they achieved it. Sunday's event is also in honor of that world record the Children of Gaza set in 2011 for most kites flown. The city's Jewish community also marking the somber day with a rally downtown. Julia Foy has that part of the story. We will not stop before we see every one of the hostages come back home. Let our people go! For 12 weeks in a row, dozens of people weighing Israeli flags protest the October 7th attacks and the 136 hostages who are still missing. It's just very frustrating. It's been a hundred days of agony, a hundred days of pain, a hundred days. I, I cannot know how those families go to bed or they even sleep and they wake up to a nightmare. The horrors of October 7th are very real for Adi Kadar because many of her family were there. My sister specifically was hiding in a cupboard with her daughter and son because there were terrorists right in their house. And we were fortunate that they were not found. Two of her family members were killed in the Hamas attack. We've lost 20 people on the Moshev. One of two of which are family, my sister's brother-in-law and his brother. On Sunday, many people who came to show support want the violence to end on both sides. I just pray that somehow God will rescue these people for their innocent, their innocent lives, and that's why I'm here. I'm not Jewish. I want to say that, uh, but I. I believe it's very important to stay with the Jewish people and stay against terror because our world will be much safer. As the 100-day mark passes, protesters say they need the madness to stop and they want the world to make it happen. No violence will bring peace. It will only brew hate. We should turn our focus to saving the lives we can on both sides. Julia Foy, Global News. The taps are dry at the only brewery in town. What the owner of Riot Brewing in Shimanis says about the sudden closure of his award-winning business and the future of the craft beer industry. And 10 years since the passing of a search and rescue visionary, how Tim Jones reshaped the way lives are saved. Those stories coming up. Search and rescue crews put their lives on the line every time they suit up to save someone's life. This week, they'll be remembering the work of a man whose legacy lives on. Tim Jones was the face of North Shore Rescue when he died a decade ago. And as Grace Key reports, he's being remembered as someone who modernized the task across B.C. Tim always had this vision of search and rescue and I remember having this discussion with my teammates that where does he come up with this stuff? Like where does he dream this up? Um, but it was also relevant and it, it put North Shore Rescue ahead. Okay, up, down. Tim Jones not only helped shape North Shore Rescue but also teams in BC and across the country. Ten years after his death, his team remembers the legacy their leader left behind. The stuff that Tim brought us forward on were communications. No teams had repeaters. We didn't have those. That allowed us to have seamless communications in the backcountry. That was all about our safety. Instead of heading to their main base to get equipment for rescue, Jones wanted search and rescue stations strategically placed. These SAR stations that we have placed all across the North Shore work out so well because we have gear there. Um, 
it really helps with those rescues because we have everything there that we need. We could just roll in and deploy right from there. He saw that, uh, and the same with the caches. He's got about 13 or 14 caches now out in the, uh, in the field. So when we charge out to an area where a subject is, uh, we don't have to carry a stretcher or stuff because it's already in the vicinity. So that's great. The team has been able to build on what Jones and others helped start, including longline rescues. We've continued to advance where the team was when he passed away to now. We, we have the night vision program. We have night hoisting. We're able to, to go all over the province in the middle of the night to help other teams. It's such a huge thing and a big benefit to the whole province. Another thing I think he would be very proud of is uh, the doctors that we have um, associated with the team. We've got about 12 emergency doctors who are available 24-7 and can come out in the field, and they come out with their drugs that they would use at the hospital. We've taken Tim's vision and we've built on it, and we've gone to places that Tim didn't know was possible, and that makes me so incredibly proud. We've done it as a team. Mike Dansk would eventually take over as the North Shore Rescue Team leader after Jones's death. What really brings a smile to my face is when I see his writing on some of our equipment because he's still there. I know he is and he's watching over and he's proud of what we've accomplished. Grace Key, Global News. BC's civil forfeiture law will go under the microscope to see if it passes muster with the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. At issue is a building that housed a suspected drug lab in South Vancouver. Police revealed its existence in July 2019, calling it a large and sophisticated operation. In 2021, the director of civil forfeiture filed a lawsuit to seize the warehouses as proceeds of unlawful activity. But a judge has ruled there are many problematic aspects to the civil forfeiture law that need to be tested to see if they are reasonable limits on individual freedoms. The province claims the warehouse owners were aware of what was happening in the property and wanted access to banking and other information. The costs of running a business, that's what has the only craft brewery in Chimanus shutting down. Riot Brewing first opened in 2014, earning several industry awards for their brews since then. But now a notice taped to the front door shows the business is owing more than $23,000. The landlord seized the assets after the business fell behind on rent payments. The owner says fewer customers were coming in to buy craft beer in recent days and says it's a theme within the industry. There is definitely uh, an increase in ones that have shut. There's an increase in ones that are for sale. But when your inputs go up, you know, 30 to 50 percent on, on product, you can't, you know, sustain margins and charge an arm and a leg for craft beer. People are, can't even afford groceries. You know, they're ripping steaks out of the package and shoving them in their pockets. Can't get craft beer at that, right? The whole community is so sad, so it's not just me, it's everybody Facebook, you know, everybody on Facebook in this whole area is sad. You can feel the tears. Rosenke says it hurts to shut down, but he's proud of all the friendships the brewery was able to forge while in business. A Vancouver Park Board commissioner is calling for a first-of-its-kind park in the city. Park Board Commissioner Jazz Verdi is pushing to build Vancouver's first all-inclusive and fully accessible sensory park. He's looking at Kitsilano Beach Park as a potential prototype. 
The motion includes sensory-rich play zones that stimulate various senses, inclusive and accessible playground equipment, and accessible pathways. Verdi says it was his son who inspired him to put the motion forward. I have a son that's on the spectrum and we often visit parks like the one behind me and I always find that parents often are judgmental when your son has a sensory overload or a breakdown um, and that led me to explore other options and other parks around the city and quite frankly I haven't been able to find the exact park that other municipalities have been have been making around the U.S. Verdi plans to present his motion at the next park board meeting on January 22nd. Still to come, volcanic activity on two island nations, including this spectacular scene in Iceland, lava flowing close to the country's main airport. And a very different scene in Buffalo, where dangerous whiteout conditions have state officials telling people to stay home. Along the American East Coast, ferocious waves are wreaking havoc in Maine. Heavy winds and rain have triggered a record high tide, flooding roads and homes in coastal communities and even sweeping away centuries-old fishing shacks. Officials are still assessing the extent of the damage. The state was already reeling from damage caused by another storm days prior. Incredible scenes in Buffalo today as the bitter cold mixed with lake-effect snow to create dramatic conditions. A complete whiteout outside the Buffalo Bills Stadium in Orchard Park, New York today. The Canucks were briefly stuck in Buffalo ahead of a scheduled game in Columbus tomorrow morning. The Bills playoff game against the Pittsburgh Steelers has already been rescheduled to tomorrow. The state of New York is urging people to stay home as travel is impossible and dangerous in some areas right now. And in Oregon, officials confirm one person has died of hypothermia. There was at least 25 emergency department visits for cold-related illnesses yesterday. This is the highest daily count for cold-related illnesses since we started keeping records back in 2016. And so I'd like to underscore the importance of uh, uh, making sure we keep an eye on folks who are at risk of hypothermia and frostbite during this winter time, as well as falls and fall-related trauma. I want to encourage anyone who's walking outside to be very careful walking, as there can be ice hiding under the snow, which can make footing unsteady and lead to falls. In Indonesia, Mount Merapi erupted this morning. It spewed ash more than one kilometer into the air. No deaths have been reported, but officials have ordered residents to leave the danger zone to avoid possible lava flows. Merapi is known for sudden eruptions that are difficult to predict, such as the one that killed 24 people while dozens of climbers were ascending the volcano in December. And for the second time in less than a month, the volcano erupted in southwestern Iceland. It sent lava spewing towards the country's main airport. The eruption posed a threat to a nearby fishing town, though it had been evacuated earlier as a precaution. Four people have died in a hot air balloon crash in Arizona. The crash happened in Eloy, about an hour's drive south of Phoenix, early this morning. It lifted off with eight skydivers and five others on board. After the skydivers all made their jumps, something went catastrophically wrong with the balloon. One person died at the scene, three died in hospital, and a fifth person is in critical condition. The National Transportation Safety Board is investigating. Still to come, giving the green light to green roofs. 
Victoria moves to cut red tape and allow for better use of rooftops in the city. The popular shipyards area of North Vancouver is aiming to become more sustainable. Water and electrical systems are being upgraded in the area. One of the benefits will be the elimination of food trucks using generators polluting noise and emissions. New drinking water stations for humans and pets will be also added. The work will be completed in two phases to minimize disruptions to visitors and residents. It's expected to be completed in March. This will really um, improve some of our programming activations. Uh, we have a variety of food trucks that come to the site for the widely popular Friday night market. Uh, this particular um, improvements will eliminate the use of generators, which will also mean less noise, um, fewer emissions for a greener, cleaner and quieter destination. The project is being funded by a $1 million provincial grant and just over $690,000 came from the city. Okay, Yvonne's back now and some more wintry weather on the way. <laughs> yeah, we're looking at a mixed bag. Uh, the extreme cold is going to start to gradually moderate. So temperatures in the coming days are going to bump up, but we've got snow and the potential along the south coast that will impact our Tuesday leading into Wednesday. And I'll have more coming up in just a moment. A few photos to share. It was spectacular over the weekend with the sunshine despite the cold. A great shot. This one captured by John from False Creek. Boundary Bay. Thank you so much, Elena. A spectacular shot in the early morning hours. Can't get enough of these photos. This one was captured in Fairmont Hot Springs and this one was taken by Grant and a great shot. Uh, some hockey at the Serpentine and this one was taken by Barb. So thank you so much for all the fantastic photos. Had to share them. There was a great variety right across the province. Minus four is what we're currently sitting at. We've got dry conditions. Wind chill making it feel closer to minus six. Overnight tonight though these are the temperatures will be down to minus nine. Wind chill minus 14. It's the interior especially the northeast eastern corners of the province extending into the southeastern corners for the Columbia and Kootenai that we're still tracking that extreme cold and areas along the north and central coast where we've got the Arctic outflow warning minus 20 to 30. Whistler is included within that in eastern areas of the Fraser Valley extending in towards Hope. But the big weather story now and this is a heads up. Special weather statement has been issued all areas in green for the central and southern interior. It'll be Monday night, Tuesday and Wednesday and areas along the south coast will be watching that snow moving in for Tuesday. Tuesday and then impacting our Wednesday as well. Snowfall warning that is in effect for the Bulkley Valley, the lakes, McGregor, 10 and up to 15 centimeters. This starts to pick up through the day for tomorrow and then continues in towards Tuesday and the area of concern if you're traveling along the Pine Pass in towards Tuesday morning between 10 and up to 15 centimeters. So lots of active weather, but the key thing is plan ahead for Tuesday now. It'll start to pick up. There is certainty that we are going to be tracking snow, but lots of uncertainty on the timing and the precipitation that'll fall because we'll watch those temperatures make a bit of a transition back over to rain for Wednesday morning. But during the transition is where we could see freezing rain and some ice pellets. So Tuesday night in towards our Wednesday, Wednesday morning will be a concern for that commute and then it should change over to rain for most areas as we do watch those temperatures bump up once again. Still tracking the extreme cold leading in towards tomorrow for the northern and central half of the province. It's dry for traveling along the mountain passes, all areas along the south coast and the lower mainland. We've got plenty of sunshine in the mix for tomorrow. It'll be a chilly start, though. Bundle up for work and school. Minus 14, the wind chill. But it's Tuesday as we get in through the day. We'll be talking snow. Wednesday, it'll change over to rain. And then we're back over to rain and quite mild for a Thursday, Friday, 5 and 8 degrees. Travis? All right. Thanks, Yvonne.
If you're looking for a home with a rooftop patio in Victoria, City Council has made it a realistic possibility, voting to increase the amount of green roof space across the city. The aim is to find innovative ways of using current developments as Victoria continues to densify. To do so, Council has directed city staff to reduce the amount of red tape in installing rooftop amenities. One city councillor says it's time for this city to modernize. The problem right now is that if you take a drone over the city or a helicopter and you look down, you see all these empty rectangular con concrete roofs. And that's really a problem, especially when you see places like Toronto. Toronto has implemented a regulation that every new building over a certain size has to have a green roof. Between 20 and 60% of the rooftop space has to be a green roof. I don't think we're quite ready to do that uh, as, as a mandatory obligation here in Victoria. But there is certainly a lot that we can do to reduce barriers so that proponents can add those green roofs and those rooftop patios uh, into their proposals. Caradonna adds there are many existing buildings with rooftops that could be put to better use. Don't know if it's quite rooftop patio yeah. weather right now. Though. <laughs> nice to see green leaves. Oh. It's been a while. <laughs> it has Feels been like a while. it. Yeah, it has been. It Deep has freeze. Been. We'll get out of it eventually. Hey, Barry. How you doing? Yeah, they, I mean, the weather is affecting the Canucks, too. They had to spend an extra night in Buffalo. I mean, who doesn't want to do that in January? But they actually did make it out. They didn't fly out, but they did bus across the border to Toronto, and they've flown to Columbus. So that 10 a.m. game tomorrow is uh, on track. It, I thought maybe with the, the weather that they might have to reschedule, but they managed to make their way out. They had a... a a plane and an automobile, but no train. But they still had an adventure with uh, the Canucks. We'll fill you in on that. NFL playoffs going on today. Some big shockers going on in the playoffs. We all have that coming up. Sounds good. Thanks, Barry. And after the break, capturing golden moments. A photographer visits the Golden Gate Bridge every day for four years, documenting life on the picturesque landmark. Famous Ukrainian musician is making a stop in Kelowna on her cross-country tour to raise money for the war-torn country. She's playing bandura. Uh, it's an ancient, uh, traditional Ukrainian instrument that has 65 strings. And uh, she invented her own unique style playing it. Uh, there will be uh, songs in English, songs in Ukrainian, Christmas songs. She will speak about the uh, situation in Ukraine. Marina Krut will be playing by candlelight at the Rotary Centre for the Arts next Sunday. The concert will also feature a fundraising auction. She regularly performs for the Ukrainian military in combat zones and money raised will be used to purchase drones for the armed forces of Ukraine. A photographer in California has been visiting one of the state's landmarks every day for four years. Now he's sharing some of those photos and memories from his unique journey. Step on to the Golden Gate Bridge on any given day, and you might just become the focus of Jake Ricker's six-year-long obsession. November 2017, I came out here one day just by myself, just photographing, and then I never really left. A street photographer, he's been here every day capturing life along this iconic landmark. Some days it's like a really, really sad day, and some days it's a really, really exciting and positive experience, and... I think that's what makes it so amazing. 
In the last four years, he says he's missed only 20 days, snapping an estimated 100,000 photos. Are there ever days where you don't want to be here? Yeah, I mean, all the time. I wish I could sleep in. I wish I could not be in cold fog and rain. He's here up to 10 hours a day. But unlike most people, his eye is not on the bridge itself, but on what's happening on it. You have one second to get it right. You can never duplicate that situation again. And when you get something out of that, I think it's way more magical than anything that can be captured in a studio. Over the years, he's witnessed everything from car crashes to protests to weddings and something else this span has sadly become famous for. There's been days where I've literally stopped or played a role in stopping three or four people from jumping in one day. Financially speaking, however, he's barely surviving, relying on savings and credit cards to fund his project. So far, he hasn't been able to monetize it. In the meantime, Jake says he's not going anywhere. If all my financial problems were solved, this is still what I would be doing. And while he has no idea whether his project will get the exposure it deserves, he'll cross that bridge when he comes to it. Itai Had, CBS News, San Francisco. After the break, Barry's here with sports, including an update on the Canucks who were stuck in Buffalo because of the whiteout there. And we'll get a closer look at the Abbey Canucks goaltender, Archer Seelofs, the young Latvian, having himself a great AHL season. The most challenging part for the Canucks on this road trip hasn't been the games. It's been the actual road That's trip. Right. Winning in the NHL is a cinch. Getting around is <laughs> the tough part. Thanks, Travis. Uh, despite that epic snowstorm going on in Buffalo this weekend, the Canucks have found their way out of that city and found their way to Columbus. They ended up busing to Toronto this afternoon and then took a flight to Columbus. It's an early start tomorrow because it's Martin Luther King Day in the U.S., so a 10 a.m. puck drop here in B.C., so you get breakfast with the Canucks tomorrow as they look to extend their win streak to six. It's already been an incredible road trip. Now they just have to beat the weakest opponent on the schedule to finish in style. By the way, the Canucks are first overall in the NHL with 61 points. Well, considering both Thatcher Demko and Casey DeSmith have been playing fantastic goal all season, the only way Arthur Silovs will get the call to Vancouver is if one of them gets injured. But the 22-year-old Latvian will be ready when called upon. As Acer Raman reports, Silovs continues to impress down on the farm in Abbotsford. It was a special year filled with first for Arthur Silovs, but the young goaltender isn't letting it get to his head or stomach. Just focus on that one day at a time because, like, you don't want to, like, buy your pie too fast, right, with the big slices. So you eat by little by little, so it's like, makes more sense and doesn't upset your stomach. <laughs> he certainly never seems to battle butterflies. The 22-year-old has shown a tendency to rise to big occasions. When he's on, he makes difficult saves look routine. That was apparent last year when he led Latvia to its first ever top three finish at the World Championship, beating the U.S. in the bronze medal game. And here it's like a lot of shots, a lot of great age chances. Uh, but there it's like, you know, you make like a couple of good saves and then it's maturity like perimeter shooting. He also looked comfortable when he was called up for five games with the Vancouver Canucks last February, winning three and recording a 908 save percentage. 
you know, he went up and he showed he can play at that level and he did really well. And I think that that's something that stuck with him. And, uh, you know, he's used that to, to build his game down, down in the American League. And I'm sure he'll get the chance again. To go up there and, and uh, spot start, like he's shown he can do that. So uh, that's a great feather in his cap. He, he wants more. The path to more minutes with the big boys is clear. Silovs needs to show he can perform consistently. He was named AHL Goaltender of the Month in November when he recorded four wins and two shutouts. He's growing into, you know, being being an elite player at our level and hopefully pushing to at some point, you know, be ready for the next level. I don't try to think about like future too much because like you can't predict it and that's like out of my control. Just you know, play solid games, win games here and see what happens. All right, last night uh, Seelovs did not play, but Arshbeet Baines and the uh, baby Canucks took on Tucson, had a great game. Baines sets up John Stevens for his second of the night, and then six minutes later, it's uh, Stevens who sets up Baines, his ninth of the year. He had a three-point night. Stevens had the hat trick with the third one coming into the empty net, so the Canucks split their series with Tucson winning 5-2. Early this morning, U18 World Women's Hockey Championship, Canada taking on Finland for bronze after the Czechs with the colossal upset of Canada yesterday in the semis. How about uh, this BC connection? Courtney's Morgan Jackson to North fans Chloe Primorano, her seventh of the tournament. She wasn't done there. Check this out. Just makes it look easy. She won the scoring title. She's a defenseman. Eight goals, eight assists in six games. You remember she was drafted by the Western Hockey League's Vancouver Giants, so obviously a, a special player. And she helped Canada to the 8-1 win. They get bronze medals. Not what they wanted, but better than nothing, USA beat the Czechs for gold. NFL playoffs, Packers and Cowboys from Dallas. Cowboys have won 16 straight at home, but someone forgot to tell the Pack, who are 4-0 at this new Texas stadium. Jordan Love, first ever playoff game, hits Dontavian Wicks, 20-yard touchdown, 20-0 Green Bay early second quarter. Jerry Jones, the Cowboys owner, not happy. Dak Prescott trying to get something going before half. Well, this is something, but not good for the Cowboys. Darnell Savage steps in front, 64-yard pick six, 27-0 pack, and the Cowboys are in shock. Third quarter, Green Bay just keeps piling on Jordan Love to a wide-open Luke Musgrave. Where are the Cowboys? That is the burning question. The pack built a 48-16 lead. The Cowboys piled on some garbage points, but it was a shocking display. 48-32, Green Bay win. They get San Francisco next week. Rams and Lions from Detroit going on right now. Battle of the quarterbacks, Matt Stafford and Jared Goff. They were traded for each other three years ago. Goff now a Lion doing something Stafford never did in Detroit, play a home playoff game. Lions roared out to a 14-3 lead, but the Rams answer with a big play. Matt Stafford to the rookie Puka Nakua, 50-yard touchdown. L.A. cuts that lead to 14-10, but the Lions offense could not be stopped. Three drives, three touchdowns, including this Jared Goff to Sam Laporta touchdown on fourth down. Detroit up 21-10, but the Rams have scored again. They're at the half. It's tight, 21-17 line. 
first round action from Melbourne overnight. It was 10-time champ Novak Djokovic, 36, still the best player in the world, taking on 18-year-old Croatian teenager Dino Prismic. Do you believe that uh, Djokovic actually was playing in a Grand Slam tournament before Prismic was born? But the kid who idolized Djokovic slugged it out and won the second set in a tie break. But as expected, Novak righted the ship, but he had to work for it. Four hours, two minutes, he's into the second round. The only Canadian playing today is Denis Shapovalov. His match should start in the next hour or so. English Premiership, Manchester United versus Tottenham from Old Trafford. First half tied at one. But United go up thanks to this Marcus Rashford goal. Gets the return pass, slots it in. 2-1 for the home team, but early second half, Spurs equalize, and this is a beauty. Rodrigo Bentoncourt smashes to the top of the net. It ends 2-all. Spurs remain fifth in the standings. Man United remain in seventh. Final round of the Sony Open from Honolulu. That wouldn't be a bad place to be right now, would it? Two BC boys made the cut, Nick Taylor and Adam Svensson, and they put on a show today. First it's Svensson out of the bunker, short par four. This is just his second shot. Holds that out for an eagle. He also eagled the par five ninth. So back-to-back -back eagles, four under in two-hole span, got to 11 under in the top 10. Meanwhile, Nick Taylor, this is at the eighth. That's for birdie, read perfectly. He's at 12 under, he's also in the top 10. Back to Svensson at the 12th. This from 108 yards out. Just flips a little wedge in there. And that's perfectly judged to a foot. Svensson got it to minus 12, but he had a rough finish, doubled his last hole, but still finished tied 30th at nine under. Back to Taylor, his putting has been so much better the past year from 38 feet. This is how you make money on the PGA Tour. Finished tied seventh, won 260,000 US. That's a good week in Hawaii. Grayson Murray won the tournament in a playoff. That's it for sports. You go to Hawaii, I know it's expensive, especially if you bring the family, but 260K should take care of things. That should do it. It is expensive, though. I, it yeah. is, yeah. yeah. All right, thanks, Barry. After the break, Jay Durant takes us back to high school, where some talented students are getting their start in the creative arts. The computer department at Walnut Grove Secondary School is helping to develop some homegrown talent for careers in the gaming, film, TV, and entertainment hotbed of Vancouver. Here's Jay Durant with This Is BC. Emerging talents turn loose in the classroom. But this is very different from any other subject. Dude, come on. We just kind of sprinkle a little bit of knowledge. We show them, here's a few ideas, here's a few techniques, here's some inspiration, and then go with it. Just work. I came to the school in grade 8 and my dad was like, I want you to take this computer course. And I fell in love with it. And rather than like sitting through like chemistry and math and all day, like I like look forward to Tuesdays and Thursdays. Walnut Grove Secondary School has been a starting point for many careers in the creative arts. Whether it's 3D modeling, 3D printing, painting the stuff, it's all stuff that we involve students with to create the area. All of us have different styles of everything, so it's also really cool to like look at how I would design a banner versus how like someone else would. Success stories are told on the Alumni Wall of Fame. A couple of years ago, one of our students actually sent an Instagram post back to us, and it was him holding an Emmy, and it was for his work on... And an Oscar. And an, oh, that's yeah. right, Emmy and the Oscar, and it's for his work on Mandalorian. Exciting and a bit humbling for the staff. It's a really unique experience that as a teacher, 
your students are better than you, and, and we've accepted it. Who are just thrilled to see imaginations running wild in their classrooms. We have students saying, oh yeah, I worked on Thor, oh I worked on Endgame, and you're like, this is amazing, right? We see their names in the credits. Hi Walnut Grove, I'm Rebecca Weep, and I will be your Tiki Radio host for today. We have the best of alternative pop coming up, so stay tuned. I think that it's a great way to express my creativity. And I just kind of got placed in the class and I just fell in love with it and have been doing it ever since. That's, that looks pretty. I know, but it doesn't fit with the vibes of the... There's not a lot of places, I don't think, that are offering kind of the scale and, and what we're trying to put together. So it's exciting. We love it. Jay Durant, Global News. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people need to know about, email your ideas to jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Yeah, uh, when we were in school, uh, it was just <laughs> learning how to type. Type. But not like this. I used a manual typewriter. I started a bit before you guys. Go. We had, flo we had floppy disks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was probably too high. I didn't even know what that was back then. <laughs> There's a progression. We had carbon paper when we did the script. I guess we oh, did that wow. here, though, way back then. Yeah. Oh, reminiscent. All right. <laughs> One last look at the weather. All right. Uh, chilly overnight tonight. Wind chill for tomorrow morning. Minus 14. Areas into the Fraser Valley. Still up to minus 20. But the big weather story is Tuesday. So plan ahead. I don't know if I can say this, but Tuesday, if you can work from home, especially as we get in towards the evening hours, highly recommended is where we could see some snow mixed with rain as it changes over to Wednesday. But Tuesday, stay tuned as we refine the forecast. We'll be watching that snow moving in. You heard it here first. You're working from home on Tuesday. <laughs> All right, thanks. Just blame me. Just blame me. <laughs> thanks, everyone. Have a great night.